Talk Description to Me with Christine Malik and J.J. Hunt. Hi, I'm Christine Malik. And I'm J.J. Hunt. This is Talk Description to Me, where the visuals of current events and the world around us get hashed out in description-rich conversations. In a couple of weeks, we will be recording our 100th episode. And in a way, it's arbitrary, but in a bigger way, it feels like a big deal to us. And it got us thinking about... Um, all the work that we've done and all the describing that's happened and stuff, stuff that we've learned and been interested by. But it also made us wonder about the things that listeners remember. And just talking anecdotally to listeners, I know that each person has a different thing that sticks in their mind or different episodes that were particularly meaningful. And so what we'd love to do is to hear from listeners about episodes or descriptions or particular moments in the in the last, you know, 100 episodes that were meaningful to you or that changed your conception of something or made you think about something in a new way. And because we love the work that we do, and we know that uh, listeners appreciate it. And we thought that for our 100th episode, we would love to share some of the feedback that listeners have about memorable moments for them. So, if you have a particular episode or an idea or a description or any part of the podcast that has been meaningful or useful for you, we'd love to hear about it. And so we're going to invite people to send us an email at talkdescriptiontome at gmail.com. And what we would love to do is to read out some of those things uh, from listeners for our 100th episode, and we'll probably have a bit of a conversation ourselves about some of those things that, that are meaningful for us or that we remember, because of course, we have favorites too. So again, if you're motivated to do so and you want to share, please send us an email at talkdescriptiontome at gmail.com. And in a couple of weeks, we will commemorate our 100th episode by looking back in a reflective way. If we get some feedback, uh, we'd be more, more than happy to share it. And today, in honor of spring, uh, we got to thinking about, and, and we may have even had a request for this, it started with the idea of a butterfly in the chrysalis. And it got us thinking about things like emerging chicks from eggs and, and insects and things blooming and emerging. And we're going to talk about some of those things that you kind of, I guess, JJ, you sort of need time-lapse photography to really appreciate. And so maybe can we start with the birds and eggs? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start with the, the hatching birds. And you're right, uh, time-lapse photography is very, very helpful for all of these things because, uh, you know, a hatching bird might take hours. Uh, it might take hours for birds to come. Uh, it'll take days, maybe even weeks 
takes for a bulb to turn into a flower, for example. So time-lapse photography is really helpful in these situations. And that's what I did was, was look at time-lapse photography uh, on YouTube. I looked up, so for birds specifically, I watched YouTube videos of chicks and robins and macaws all hatching. And birds, hatching is relatively simple, but very, very sweet. One thing I learned when watching those YouTube videos of chicks and robins and all of these eggs, doesn't matter what kind of egg, doesn't matter what kind of bird is being hatched. One thing I learned is that uh, there's always soothing and uplifting music playing in the background. <laughs> Apparently, that always accompanies the hatching of eggs. Those lucky birds. They're born into a world of song, right? <laughs> Were you invited on a guided meditation as well? I'm particularly not fond of guided meditations. <laughs> yeah, there was some serious overlap between meditation music and baby chicks hatching. <laughs> So the spa day. <laughs> the first thing that happens with an egg, and a lot of these videos, they show an egg, uh, you know, it's often uh, chicks, chickens, because, uh, you know, people have access to those eggs and they'll take them and they'll, it'll be in an incubator or it'll be in a warm space on a blanket or a towel or something like that with a camera on time-lapse pointed right at the video, uh, right at the egg. And so typically what happens first is that there's a tiny, tiny hole punched through the shell from the inside. Just a little tiny hole. And the egg at that point starts rocking back and forth around the same time, just movement inside the egg that is shifting because the shell is still hard. Um, and when you're looking th through that hole, if you've got a little hole, then you can see a little bit inside. You can peek inside and you can see little tiny bits of movement in there. It's hard at this point. You can't really tell what's going, like what's happening inside, what it looks like, but you can see a bit of movement. And, you know, regardless of the bird, the egg probably has a hard outer shell that's lined with a fine membrane. So sometimes as these cracks appear and the holes start to break open, it exposes the membrane. So you'll have the outer shell crumble away, but the inner membrane will still be intact and that has to be kind of picked away at and, and cracked further and ripped away. So holes and cracks might appear in different parts of the egg, might maybe one over here and one over there, and then sometimes they'll grow together. Sometimes they will be, there'll be two little holes and there'll be a crack line between them. It, there's lots of different ways, of course, that it, that it unfolds. Uh, I've actually seen a couple of these videos where it's the classic egg crack right around the middle. So, you know, there's a line of crack that goes all the way around until the bottom of the shell gets pushed off and really dramatically by the chick inside. It's oh, a, wow. it's really a, like, it's a, quite a varied thing, as you can imagine. Long and laborious task for these tiny little creatures. And I gotta say, when these chicks are, are, are first emerging from their shell, they aren't that cute and sweet right away. They are wet. They're rumpled. Some of them have soggy feathers that look more like hair. Um, others don't have any hair or feathers at all. They're bare. They're <gasps> pink oh. and fleshy and they're kind of raw looking. They oh. don't have feathery wings. They just have 
these fleshy stumps for limbs, and their heads are often quite oversized, very heavy, with like thin uh, skin covering the dark eyes beneath. And so as these little creatures have, have pushed out of their shell and then pushed off the shell so that it's out of their way, they'll kind of flail around a little bit and flop about as they as they get their bearings and uh, and then finally settle in and start to relax because it's such a process. It's so exhausting for them. Is there any color in the new hatched chicks? It depends on the, the uh, depends on the bird. So I think it was the macaw that I saw was uh, was black uh, and uh, with feathers, um, but really wet and and so uh, not not full and feathery, but but had some kind of downy black feathers. And then others were totally uh, totally bare, and they they are this this very. F- pink, raw, fleshy color, um, that are no, no other, no other colors. Just the entire animal is this, is this pink fleshy color. I'm curious about the movement too of the egg. I hadn't really thought of that. So I, I guess it's hard to tell in a time-lapse, but maybe you could compare time-lapse versus what you might've seen in the real world, but is the movement of the egg jerky or slow yeah. and rhythmical what does it look like in in time lapse it it rocks back and forth and it looks like it's rocking back and forth pretty you know they're sharp movements but that's time lapse if you're looking at it uh, not in time lapse and i have seen a chick being born uh it you know doesn't happen every day in toronto but i have seen <laughs> a chick being coming out of its shell and they do rock back and forth i mean that's just the shape of the egg any movement on the inside is going to have it rolling a little bit from side to side not so much movement that it's going to like roll off a table necessarily certainly not if it's lying on a towel or a blanket, um, but enough that it's it, that it shifts slowly from side to side, kind of like a little tiny bit of a roll back and forth. Because my only experience of eggs, obviously, is in a, a carton, and they're completely inert, and yeah. there's nothing alive inside them, and so it's it's disorienting in a way to think of an egg as moving around. The cracking part is it's intuitive, makes sense, but the movement it it conveys life in a way yeah. that stupidly i'm not i don't normally associate with eggs yeah it is a little bit disconcerting what because it's it's hidden it's what's what's going on inside there's movement inside um which is even more the case when you get into something like snakes because then it's like oh what really what is going on inside there that's a that's a different thing altogether oh let's please let's talk about that that's totally new to me i never i know snakes come from eggs but i never even thought what that looks like are they the same color are they white or brown as chicken eggs they're quite they're they're quite a bit different so i think it's something like 70 percent of snakes uh lay eggs uh the snake species lay eggs some of them are like one egg every three years, but other kinds of snakes lay a hundred eggs at a time every single year. So there's a lot of variation and, 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 you know, so snake eggs in general are, they're soft. So they're not hard, like a, like a chicken egg, like you would feel picking up a chicken egg from the grocery store. Snake eggs are soft. They're kind of leathery. I've never felt one myself, but I've read that they're kind of leathery. They're more oblong in shape. Some of them are very similar to bird egg shapes, um, or like a chicken egg shape, I should say, because of course, even with birds, there's like 
all kinds of variation in size and very much the same with with snakes sometimes you get a an oblong snake egg that's soft but otherwise shaped more or less like a bird egg like a chicken egg and sometimes they're more like capsules or even like huge tic tacs <laughs> so they're oh, like wow. really capsule shaped usually white or beige sometimes with a little bit of coloring on it like a bit of mottled i've seen some with like a mottled gray or a blue gray coloring or a or a brown coloring and they can be anywhere from like one inch long to five inches long so there's lots of variation in the snake eggs but again the soft shell is one of the key differences by the time a snake is ready to hatch the shell is quite soft it looks a little bit like a deflated balloon um oh. yeah and then you can really see the movement inside right because the egg is soft and it's not just a pecking motion there's something slithering in there something moving with its whole body it's not as rigid it's not spiky and sharp movements it's smoother movements again in in time lapse video it looks more twitchy but uh but but it's really it is a little bit more smooth if you're looking at these uh, outside of time lapse at some point uh, in this movement inside the shell, there will be a little bit of a slit that's broken in it. And again, not a crack because it's not that, t it's not that texture. It's not that hard. It's a slit. And then a snake head will just pop out. <laughs> Ooh. And this little head is sticking out and, and the head darts around for a bit, uh, you know, looks from side to side. Maybe it'll just stay there totally motionless with this... <laughs> head sticking out of this egg, huh. the tongue going back and forth. And then as often as not in the videos that I saw, the head will go back inside mm. and then they'll hang out inside again. Like, okay, that was interesting. I'm going to come back <laughs> in for a bit because that was weird. <laughs> and then the eggs, again, they move around a little bit, they shift around a little bit. And then at some point the, the, the snake does slither out, usually through that one slit that has grown because of the extra movement that's that's going on inside. And when a baby snake comes out of its um of its shell, it most of the ones that I saw anyway, they look very much like just smaller versions of their adult selves. So their their coloring, their patterns tend to mm. be in place from what I could see. Um, but what is always shocking is how long they are. How did that snake fit <gasps> oh. in that egg? It's like clowns coming out of a clown car. It's like, <laughs> how on earth? And it's oh. true every time. Like every time I saw it, like I think, how were they twisted up in there? How were they coiled <gasps> oh. up? Yeah, really interesting. With some snakes, there's like a bit of a foamy ooze that seeps out of the egg as they slither out, but others they seem they they seem to emerge uh, quite dry and you know just snakes ready to be snakes in the world. I have two important questions: Do YouTube videos of snakes hatching have meditative spa music? <laughs> Some of them, but some of them are a little bit more hardcore. Uh, uh -huh. It's mostly the birds that get the, you know, the okay. really cutesy music. But okay. uh, you'd be surprised. Some of them, it's like, oh, it's really sweet. And look at these inflated balloons. Oh, my God, there's a hundred new baby snakes coming out of those heads. <laughs> <laughs> With the Enya playing in the background. You know. <laughs> and the other question, are they cute? 
Yeah, I mean, they kind of are. I, I mean, totally depends on your, you know, some people are of course. F- afraid of snakes, and, and there's reason to be afraid of some snakes. But some of them are. I even saw some baby cobras being um, born, uh, and they come out, and, you know, cobras are uh, distinctive because they've got that hooded head. Um, mm. And so they kind of stand up a bit, kind of like uh, if, if you've got your arm out in front of you and you bend the elbow and then make like a little hand, a little, uh, hand puppet uh, with your mm-hmm. hand that kind of and there's a hood around the head area and then they snap they they strike you know like a like you're pecking with your hand and even as little tiny babies um cobras the, these cobras i saw in this video were doing that action and it's like oh look at that they're trying to attack and poison something <laughs> like they are small hmm. they are kind of cute uh yeah but at the same time they're behaving like snakes so if the general behavior of snakes creeps you out the, then baby snakes probably would too but uh if if that if that doesn't scare you they are kind of cute Bird eggs are really recognizable, but when you see a snake egg, is it obvious everyone knows that's a snake egg? It doesn't sound egg-like. Yeah, I don't think I've ever encountered a snake egg um, out in the wild. Um, I would be quite uh, nervous if I did, not knowing my snake eggs. Um, you would recognize it as an egg, but it would you would wonder if you weren't someone who knew about eggs and weren't someone who knew about snake eggs in particular, I can imagine seeing an, a, a snake egg and thinking, is that healthy? Is it supposed to oh. look like that? Cause it's ah. the, the deflated kind of s- mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. softness of it would, would make me wonder if it was near the end of its, if, if the, if the snake inside was about to hatch and it was moving around, I would be <laughs> very anxious because it is that moment. Like, I have no idea what's in there, but mm-hmm. it's uh, there's a high percentage chance that it is not going to like me being this close. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> and, like the great beginning to a sci-fi movie. Yeah, totally. Well, and you can see why why eggs would be included in sci-fi movies all the time because that this idea of something growing on the inside and you don't know what it is, it's very dramatic, very it's very cinematic. On the topic of eggs, uh you did a little looking into sea turtles also. Yeah, sea turtles, they are pretty darn cute as they're being born. There's lots of footage of this available on YouTube from like the the David Attenboroughs of the world, because again, these sea turtles make for really dramatic and adorable footage. So sea turtles generally lay their eggs on land, um, like on beaches, uh, often on beaches that are familiar to them. I think in some cases, a turtle will go back to the very beach where they themselves hatched to lay oh. their eggs. Yeah, oh. amazing. And so what they do is they they use their hind flippers. The female turtle will use the hind flippers to dig a hole in the sand that's about a foot and a half deep and then directly deposit her eggs, her soft-shelled eggs into that hole. And depending on the the kind of turtle, it can be anywhere between 50 and 350 eggs in one hole. And then she covers the hole with sand, again, like using those hind flippers. She might even drag a bit of vegetation in to be on top of it, to camouflage it. 
and that's how the the turtles are buried underground. So you might be on a beach and not know that there are turtle eggs buried underground. They're so well camouflaged. And after 60 to 80 days, the National Geographic camera crews arrive and uh, they wait for the magic moment. What happens <laughs> it, it, different times a day, sometimes after sunset, uh, that makes the filming really dramatic and night vision lenses and soft lighting must be used, which is good for these videos. Sometimes it happens during the day, which is a little bit more perilous because I think there are more predators out in the middle of the day. But the first thing that happens from an observer's standpoint is that a tiny crater will appear in the sand, like a little small cave-in. There's underground movement, and that means the grains of sand at the surface will shift and fall into this little depression or this little crater. And then there's more shifting of the sand, and you can tell something's going on under there, and the holes may be getting a little bit bigger, the crater's getting a little bit deeper. And then what happens is this tiny little turtle head pops up. And again, might even just be the size of your thumb. This little turtle head, very reptilian, leathery skin already looks cracked and kind of weathered. Mouth opening and closing to get the first little bit of breath of air. And then a flipper will pop out and then another flipper will pop out. And they'll try and pull themselves out of the sand like a... Uh, like a tiny adventurer in an action movie climbing out of quicksand. It's exactly like that using these flippers. And usually at first is just one or two turtles popping up, but then depending on the species, might be dozens, there might be hundreds of turtles. And so the crater kind of churns up as these turtle heads pop up and they pull themselves up with their flippers and they climb over one another. And this little tiny, you know, crevice in the sand, this crater in the sand might expand into a great big hole filled with teeming with these tiny turtles, a sandy pit oh. full of tiny wriggling awkward turtles as they stumble around and climb on top of each other, trying to figure out how their bodies work. And then they have to orient themselves. And at some point they'll figure out they need to go to the water and they start moving in something like a line at first that kind of spreads out a little bit and that turtles move baby turtles move with a launching kind of lurching action so they use their front flippers uh, and they kind of pull their front flippers back like they get a grip on the sand and then pull back which launches the body forward a few inches it's kind of like doing the breaststroke on land and they kind huh. of lurch one boom 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 and they make their way down toward the water and if they don't get picked off by a predator as many of them do they eventually reach the water generally what happens is is a gentle wave a very small wave that washes up farther than the other waves will pick up these tiny little turtles when they get close and then pull them into the water and then off they go into the water where they're quite a bit safer uh, than when they are uh, on the beach. Are they cute? They're really cute. Okay. <laughs> they're really sweet. The movement is sweet. The numbers of them are sweet. Like it's just, there's so many of them and they're falling all over each other doing the thing that like, you know, babies and tiny creatures that hardly know how to use their bodies, you know, foals that fall over and what that tends to be pretty cute. And they're, they're pretty sweet in that way. All stumbly over each other. And yeah, yeah, they're pretty sweet. Let's talk insects. Uh, and 
Yeah, I think this episode actually did get started with the idea of uh, a butterfly uh, emerging from, a, a, and apparently it's a chrysalis, not a cocoon, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. We we often call them cocoons. Uh, that's in you know pop culture, general culture. That's what we call them. But a cocoon technically is like a is like a silky sleeping bag. Uh, and there are some moths that make cocoons, but for the most part, it's a chrysalis. And a chrysalis is 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 a different thing. Chrysalis is actually it's part of the it's part of the body of the insect. It's, 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 it's weird. Oh, it's weird. And when you, when you take one of these videos, there are lots of videos online of caterpillars turning into butterflies. And, uh, and when you break it down, when you watch it closely stage by stage and you have someone especially narrating it, it is weird. It is creepy. And I needed the narration to tell me what was happening because sometimes the visual of what was going on, is like, I don't understand like this, what I'm, what I'm watching here could be a special effect. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. So I needed the scientific explanation of the narrator sometimes to, to kind of talk me through it. Can we start with the caterpillar? Because I think that's the best dramatic effect is what you start with and what you end up with. Yeah, totally. So a, a monarch, let's let's look at the monarch butterfly. We've actually described the look of butterflies. I think that was insects, I, was episode 65 or something like that. Okay, um, yeah. So let's start with the monarch caterpillar because that's a, a nice one to, to kind of follow through with. So the monarch caterpillar, it looks like a, like a slug, but it's got... Um, tiny black feet and tiger stripes. So these are like ragged tiger stripes, uh, alternating black and white and either a yellow or like a pale lime green color. Um, and two rows of, of black feet, one on either side, there are stubbier feet in the back and they are kind of like pincers, like, uh, like a cat's fingernail near the front. Uh, but again, black, and there are pairs of long black tentacles at both the front and the back of the caterpillar. So it can be kind of hard to tell the front from the back. They look very, very similar front and back. So when it's time for this caterpillar to transform, it finds a support like a, like a thin, but stiff branch or something like that, like a little twig on a tree. And it spins a layer of silk. This comes out of the mouth area and it's like a tiny, sticky little cotton ball. And it, they stick this little layer of silk to the underside of the twig. It's kind of like a creating a button on the twig. And then it turns around and it grabs on to this button of silk with its, its last pair of legs. So visually it kind of looks like it's gripping this silk button with its rear end. And then it hangs upside down. So it's, its head is pointing down. It might bend into a bit of a J shape for a while, but generally this is, this is how it's going to be throughout this chrysalis stage with the, the, the rear end being attached to the underside of a twig by this little silk, sticky silk button and the head pointing down. And here's where it gets weird. (laughs) Wait, it's pretty weird already. Just saying. (laughs) After about like eight to 12 hours, the caterpillar begins to swell. It has eaten an awful lot leading up to this stage to kind of prepare for this moment. And the body itself, the caterpillar begins to swell. And it makes this kind of pumping action with its body. So the body is a little bit like a flip 
flexible corrugated tube. So like the bendy part of a bendy straw, you know that? Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of this pumping action. You can imagine if you take that bendy part of a bendy straw and you kind of expand it and contract it, expand it, contract it, expand it, contract it. It's a little bit like that. And what that action is actually doing is pushing material from the top, which is near the button, down toward the hanging head. And you can, when you're zoomed in really close in these videos, you can actually see like a little bulge at the top that's being worked down by this pumping action. So if you imagine like a snake eating a large rat so that the bulge is evident as the prey is worked down the body, it's not dissimilar to that over and over and over again. Like Mm. a little bit more gentle, a little bit more rapid. And this pumping action means that the head, which is hanging down, grows and expands. And as it grows and expands, the skin, so that like tiger skin, the tiger stripes, it splits just at the lowest point, just above the head. And when it splits, the body of the caterpillar emerges as this plump, lime green, hardened shell. Because oh my God, this a, is so weird. <laughs> a caterpillar has an exoskeleton. And so the chrysalis is actually the exoskeleton. And the tiger stripes, those are just skin deep. So as the body gets bigger and bigger, the tiger skin splits. We're kind of like up the spine, it splits and the body of the caterpillar grows. This shell grows and emerges underneath it. And that pumping action while pushing whatever it is pushing down, the material inside the caterpillar gets pushed down. That same pumping action kind of pushes the skin up, kind of like a bunching sock. So all of that skin gets pulled up and up and up toward that twig as the body grows a little bit bigger, a little bit more plump. So when the shell has fully emerged, all of the skin has been gathered up at the top and, uh, and then a barb, emerges from inside this new chrysalis, this kind of lime green hard shell. And this tiny barb emerges from inside the chrysalis and attaches itself to the sticky silk button. And then this, it's a pupa now, it gyrates. And as it's gyrating and kind of spinning itself around and moving, it's moving, the, all of that gathered skin that got like <laughs> pushed up, it falls away. And then the gyrating slows, and then it stops altogether. And that that shell, which was already hard, it hardens some more, and it gets smoother. So it had been kind of a a green color. There might have been some bands of yellow around it, a little bit of that corrugation. But it gets it that it smooths out. It takes on a darker green color. And that's the chrysalis. That's and it's now if a caterpillar was shaped more like a pinky, the chrysalis is shaped more like a thumb. It's a little bit stockier, it's a little bit wider, and it's smooth and dark, uh, a, a darker green color. And uh, and there it sits. It just sits exactly like that, nice and quiet, and it hangs like that for quite a while. Yeah. Is it? Is it? creepy to watch that that sounds very odd it's it's a strange thing to watch i mean it's mesmerizing it's kind of beautiful but it's bizarre 
It's totally bizarre. But because a lot of us know what's happening, like, you know what's going to happen is a butterfly is going to come, right? And so there's excitement and anticipation, and it's mm-hmm. it's really neat. Um, and then it gets quiet, and 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 I think what's going on inside that chrysalis is even more bizarre and creepier. I think there are moments where <laughs> if you were to crack it open, you would find nothing but goo inside. Like <laughs> some very strange things are happening, but you can tell when the when you when it's the 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 creature inside is. is is ready and is transformed because in the final days of metamorphosis, that green chrysalis begins to grow translucent (gasps) and it goes from being green to being absolutely clear. And at that point, the monarch butterfly that's inside is completely recognizable (gasps) because it's got folded black and orange wings. We know that pattern. That's a recognizable pattern. We know those wings and they're all folded up inside. So you can now see this like tiny little package in a clear shell um, of 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 a folded up butterfly. And so what happens at this point is the chrysalis splits open at the head end so that the head that's that's down the dangling end and it splits open at the bottom and the butterfly slowly crawls out. And it's kind of like watching a sleepy kid slowly wriggle out of a tight sleeping bag if they were hanging by their feet, right? <laughs> it's a little bit slow at first. It's a little bit awkward. They kind of have to push open the crack in the this plasticky, this clear plasticky looking chrysalis. And then they, they get one body segment out and then another. And then when, when the largest part of the body comes down, it usually drops out suddenly. Vroom. But the butterfly clings to the empty pupa case with its long, thin black legs. And again, this case at this point looks like a, a bit of empty, stiff, clear plastic wrap at this point. And so the butterfly kind of twists and moves a little bit, again, all, still holding on. So hanging on to this, uh, you know, empty pupa case and the wings, which have been tucked in, they slowly begin to unfold and the wings are kind of soft and limp at this stage. They need time to dry. So the, the, the wings just kind of hang down for a while and the butterfly starts to, its body starts to twitch like a pregnant belly, which houses an active baby. There's, you can see again, when you zoom in close, you can see a little bit of movement in there. And what is happening is the, the butterfly's body is pumping is is making and then pumping fluid into the wings so as the wings are drying in the air there's fluid that's being pumped into them and that makes the wings rigid so when it's ready and the wings are dry and they are and they're they're stiffening from this fluid inside then they are able to kind of climb up the empty pupa case and they climb up onto the twig or branch that it was hanging on and it tests its wings, so it gently opens and closes them in a, in, a, in, a, in a very classic flapping motion. It does this for a while, and then after a few hours, it takes off. It's a fully formed butterfly. Wow, that is mind-mangling. <laughs> <laughs> is this something that 
sighted kids watch? Like, is this something every kid has has seen? Yeah, it, it's a, a it's a classic. I mean, you'll you'll sometimes actually put one of these things in a in a terrarium in a classroom in a kids room or like a school room. You can also go on YouTube. There's tons of these things, and a lot of them are aimed at kids. I watched several that were aimed at kids as well as a few that were aimed at adults because my understanding of the science falls somewhere in between. Right. Right. And right. yeah, but a lot of kids would uh would have seen this at some point over their over their the, the in their school years. It's a it's fascinating. It's a great way to explain uh, you know changes in nature and and growth and birth and all of those things. And it's just, I mean, it's it, hard to come up with something that is more engaging from a scientific point of view. Like you you want to see how crazy science is. You want to see how wild um, nature is. Check this out. Yeah. You don't <laughs> need really science fiction. That. We're going to talk some plant life too. And uh, bulbs? Yeah, bulbs. <laughs> they, uh, they're often the first sign of uh, the, the spring and new things growing. And so what did you find in time lapse of bulbs growing? Yeah, tracking bulbs as they grow, it's, it's really a very lovely springy thing to do, right? We had a warm spell in Toronto last week, so the bulbs are starting to come out. Um, you were, of course, in Vancouver. They, they're always weeks ahead of us. And, and they're they, always a little oh, boasting about they it, aren't they? You talk us. to someone oh. on the, in Vancouver in March, oh, the crocuses, they're all up and they're blooming and they're so beautiful. And I just have to bite my tongue. I'm like, that's really nice as I pull my parka congratulations to those of you who have fully blooming daffodils and lily of the valley and things like that but uh for those of us still in the uh it's actually hideous weather today freezing rain so yeah those poor little bulbs but in an (laughs) ideal world (laughs) yeah so you can start to see them as you're like if you're walking in your neighborhood you'll start to see on front lawns or again you can do what i did go on youtube and find time lapse people have done time lapse of these so this is a nicer one because I could, while well, for me anyway, I could watch the time-lapse video and then run outside and see what does it look like out there? Aww. What does it look like there? So that was kind of nice. So what happens as the first bulbs start to sprout is that they come up as, well, often these little waxy green, they look like stems or they're just bundled leaves that come together in pointy tips. And those start to emerge from the, the mounds of dead leaves in garden beds and in lawns. Some of them get their flowers very early, like uh, snowdrops and crocuses. What happens is that the, the snowdrops, they don't get very tall. They, they start to pop up these green stems and leaves and they can sometimes grow in the last of the snow so when the snow melts oh look there's already a little snowdrop stem sticking out of the ground this bundle of leaves and they come up and then they there's a small delicate white flower from the the snowdrop head which it hangs down like a lantern so it's not that the it's not that the flowers are poking up at the sky they are hanging down and, and aimed at the ground. Um, crocuses, they poke out of the ground with a papery white skin on the outside of this bundle of growing very thin green leaves. These thin leaves, as they're bundled, they get taller and taller and taller. And then if you're watching a time lapse, rather suddenly, this papery looking stalk emerges from the center, from the core of this bundle of tall, thin leaves. Um, and then before the stalk has even cleared the leaves, it 
bursts open this uh from inside this papery shell this large purple flower head will emerge and it it opens up into a trumpet shape uh and and inside this trumpet uh, this purple trumpet there's a bright yellow stamen inside the stamen looks like a tiny trumpet itself or maybe a golf tee and that's how the uh, that's how crocuses come out into the world again when i say tall leaves i mean they're narrow they're they're you know they're they're not uh you know waist high or anything like that these are they're they're pretty low to the ground. Tulips emerge from the ground as bundled leaves. So if you imagine all of the waxy layers of corn husks, but without the cob inside, and then you bundle all those waxy layers of husk into a tight spear shape, that's kind of what the tulip looks like as it starts to emerge from the ground. And as it grows, those those tightly bundled leaves begin to fall open. And where they all come together at the base, a stem begins to grow. And that stem grows up. It rises up from the ground. And then it continues growing up through the core. And what emerges is a tightly packed tulip head. And you can already see the color at this point. So might be red, might be orange, yellow, purple, doesn't matter. There are all kinds of colors of tulips. But again, tightly bundled and tapered. And the stem continues to grow with this bundled head at the top until the head is, you know, as tall as the leaves, maybe even grows a little bit past the highest leaves. And then the flower head falls open and it falls open into a tall cup shape. And, uh, and that's how it stays in your garden until, uh, uh, until all of those, uh, leaves, you know, die off and crumple up and fall to the ground. I also really like to watch, <laughs> the house plants time lapse there's this kind of weird subgenre <laughs> of youtube videos on house plant time lapse those are those are kind of fun those are weird to watch explain please so so uh, there's something about the way house i mean you think of house plants as being inanimate they're just plants and you know mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. they grow over time but it's so slow that you don't mm-hmm. really get a sense of how they're moving and when you watch them in time lapse they look like muppets like <laughs> they oh. move around oh. quite a bit especially if they're oh. near a window um so what people do is they oh. set up their plants near the windows and they and they do time lapse videos um and it really draws attention to how much these sun-seeking houseplants will move throughout the day. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So some of them, some of the houseplants, if they have like longer vines with bigger leaves, what'll happen is those vines will sag or droop overnight. And then in the morning when the sun comes into the window, they'll pop up. Again, this is in time lapse. They, they'll pop up and they will turn to face uh, the window oh like a God. bunch of kids facing the ah. front of a classroom. So all of the leaves They'll turn to face and their stems might actually have to arch back to balance <gasps> out and support the leaves that are leaning forward toward the sun. Yeah. Oh and then some plants will, will, will turn more slowly. So over the course of the day, they'll just kind of, they'll keep their leaves facing the sun and they'll slowly, as the sun moves across the window or tracks across the room, they will slowly turn over the course of the day. Really cool. I saw one wow. time-lapse. Um, it was well set up. It, they actually had a clock on a shelf 
um, oh. surrounded by house plants, oh. so you could see the the you know the 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 hour hand of the clock going around wow. and around and around. They did about tw- I think they did twenty four hours in less than ten seconds, and. <gasps> These plants were kind of squat house plants with big wide leaves. So not vines or plants with long stems. And the way these ones moved is that they would, they even in this time lapse of 24 hours and 10 seconds, they lifted their leaves slowly, kind of shifting in place, kind of like all the leaves came up and they parked up as the sun came in. They kind of grew a little bit and then they all settled back down as the sun set again. So it really, it reminded me, it looked like a big deep breath in and then a long exhale as the sun went down. Yeah, very cool. I have a question about sunflowers in this respect. Is it true that if you look at a field of sunflowers uh, during the day, it's discernible that their heads turn? Yeah, the sunflowers do follow uh, follow the sun. And, and when you're watching a field of them, you can see, I mean, the, the, obviously lots of wind, so they're blowing back and forth a bit, but they do slowly follow and turn to the sun. I, I've noticed this, we grow sunflowers, we grow like 10 foot tall sunflowers in our backyard. And as they're growing and they're, and the, and the flower itself is starting to, uh, to grow at the top of the, of the flower, you can see it kind of like a um like a satellite dish <laughs> searching oh. for which which way should i be facing so that i'll catch the the most sun and then mm. when you see a a field of them in one of these time lapse videos you do see them slowly turning again it's a it's a, a little bit like kids faces because sunflowers mm-hmm. are so big and those those faces do turn toward the sun it's a uh, it's it's a very it's a very human movement actually we love making this podcast if you love hearing it perhaps you'll consider supporting its creation and development by becoming a patron we've set up a patreon page to help cover the costs of putting this show together you can contribute as a listener or as a sponsor to help ensure that accessible and entertaining journalism continues to reach our community visit patreon.com slash talk description to me that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash talk description to me have feedback or suggestions of what you'd like to hear about here's how to get in touch with us our email address is talk description to me at gmail.com our facebook page is called talk description to me our website is talk description to me.com and you can follow us on twitter at talk description <laughs>